Hello and welcome to the Father's House Church. We're so glad that you were able to join us today. We hope that you're blessed by today's message from our care and prayer pastor, Hayward Eastman. <clears throat> well, we have a, a message today from Acts chapter 24. And uh, the title is Preaching the Gospel in Chains. As we look at Acts, it's, <clears throat> it's nearing the end. Paul has completed his third missionary journey and has come to Jerusalem with a love offering from the Gentile churches. While in the temple to perform a purification ritual in order to prove that as a Christian he still honors and obeys the law and the prophets. Paul is accused of bringing a Gentile into the temple which is a no-no, and uh, <clears throat> a, a riot breaks out, and some of the people were ready to kill Paul. The Roman commander arrested Paul, and which actually saved his life from the mob, and the commander learned from Paul's nephew of a conspiracy to as assassinate him. He immediately sent Paul to Governor Felix in Caesarea. Paul has already been experiencing unfair, unfair treatment. Now he's in chains. <clears throat> but Paul is finding opportunities while in chains to preach the gospel. And so I would imagine that many of us here this morning have found ourselves in difficult situations in life. Maybe even now you're chained to an illness, an addiction, unhealthy relationship, financial stress, and the list goes on and on. You may not be imprisoned for your faith, but your chains are just as real. I know many people who, like Paul, have gone through some difficult situations in life, but they've learned to use it to honor God and to bring glory to his name. I want you to allow the Holy Spirit to reveal truth to you today as we walk through this amazing chapter of Acts 24. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, I pray, Lord, that you will just honor your word today. Pray that you will anoint my lips to speak forth only what you want me to say. Let your Holy Spirit minister to each heart. In Jesus' name we pray. <clears throat> Amen. Well, first we see in this uh, period in Paul's life, he's going through a mock trial. In the first 21 verses of chapter 24, we see Paul on trial before Felix. Let's read the specific charges. Verses 5 and 6 says, We have found this man to be a troublemaker who is constantly stirring up riots among the Jews all over the world. He is a ringleader of the cult known as the Nazarenes. Furthermore, 
He was trying to desecrate the temple when we arrested him. Now, Paul's defense was brilliant. He refuted every charge against him. When Paul finished his defense, they didn't have anything to say. They were speechless. And Paul concluded by saying, in verses 14 and 21, it's not on the, the screen, but you, I'll read it for you. He says, but I admit that I follow the way, which they call a cult. I worship the God of our ancestors, and I firmly believe the Jewish law and everything written in the prophets. I have the same hope in God that these men have, that he will raise both the righteous and the unrighteous. Because of this, I always try to maintain a clear conscience before God and all people. After several years away, I returned to Jerusalem with money to aid my people and to offer sacrifices to God. My accusers saw me in the temple as I was completing a purification ceremony. There was no crowd around me, no rioting, but some Jews from the province of Asia were there, and they ought to be here to bring charges if they have anything against me. Ask these men here, what crime the Jewish high council found me guilty of? Except for one thing, I shouted out, I am on trial before you today because I believe in the resurrection of the dead. At that point, Felix, who was quite familiar with the way, adjourned the hearing and said, Wait, wait until Lysias comes. The garrison commander arrives. Then I will decide the case. <clears throat> Paul knew that the Roman judge could not decide in a case regarding Jewish theology. And Felix knew that Paul was right. He was not guilty because he had done no crime. But Felix did not want to offend the Jews. So he made a, an excuse. He said that he must wait for Lysias, the chief captain, to come to Caesarea. We know that this is a lie because Lysias had sent Paul to Felix. Felix had already received a letter from Lysias exonerating Paul. And so he retains Paul in custody, even though he had every legal right to set him free. Verse 23 says that he ordered an officer to keep Paul in custody, but to give him some freedom and allow his friends to visit him and take care of his needs. It was sort of a, a house arrest that Paul was under at that point. There is no record that he ever called Lysias or that Lysias ever came. And then secondly, we see an unlawful confinement. It was this same Paul who later wrote, who was in prison in Rome, and he wrote these words in Romans chapter 8, verse 28. And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those 
who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. So Paul was quite confident that God was working something out, even though he was in chains. He was quite satisfied to wait upon the Lord and allow God to work it out for him. This chapter can be a source of comfort and strength to us when we find ourselves in inconvenient circumstances. In times of confusion, we may question why. Why would God allow this to happen? We may ask God, why? Why this sickness? Why this pain? Or why this waiting? It's been so long. I've been praying for so long for this, and still no answer. Lord, you can put a stop to this in a minute, in a second. Why don't you? A little while ago, Effie had a, a we figure it's a mini stroke, and you notice that I'm, I'm just uh, leading her a bit. And, and, uh, but we're believing God that he's going to heal that completely. You know, everybody has had a, a difficult time in their life, or they're already having one right now. But that doesn't mean that God has forsaken us. That doesn't mean that God doesn't care. God loves you, and God wants, God wants his best for you. So pay, pay close attention uh, to what God has to say for you today. God used house arrest so that Paul is kept from the hands of the Jews, intent on his death. Under the protection of Rome, anyone could come to see him at any time. He could teach them to his heart's content. He was still in a position of complete safety to proclaim the word of God. God is not finished with Governor Felix yet. Verse 24 says, A few days later, Felix came back with his wife Drusilla, who was Jewish. Sending for Paul, they listened as he told them about faith in Jesus Christ. Paul was experiencing what every believer dreams of. Somebody coming to you and asking you about your faith in Christ. Again, God is turning something that was meant for evil into something for good. A Roman governor and his wife is asking Paul to share about his faith in Jesus Christ. Paul was well aware of their need to receive Christ into their lives. He gave them the truth and nothing but the truth. Directed by the Holy Spirit, Paul gave them what they needed to hear. Not necessarily what they wanted to hear, but what they needed to hear. Paul gave a three-point sermon here. Acts 24, verse 25 says, As he reasoned with them about righteousness, self-control, and the coming day of judgment. That's the three-point sermon. <clears throat> so Paul begins with the fact that faith in Christ is about righteousness. And so we'll go with Paul's sermon, his outline. The Bible do not expound on 
what Paul said here. But from what he taught from this, the New Testament into the churches, I believe he would have shared with them something that I am sharing today because I'm going to share what Paul says about righteousness, what Paul says about self-control, and what Paul says about the coming of judgment from the New Testament. The Bible do not expound on what Paul said, but we know what he said, and so this is what we're going to talk about. He would have shared that while we have no righteousness of our own, God is holy, and he is righteous, and he demands righteousness. The only way that we can be right before God is to receive the righteousness that God has as a gift through the blood of Jesus that was shed on the cross for us. Righteousness means to be right with God and to conform perfectly to God's standard. Something that we cannot do on our own. Deuteronomy 12, 25 rather, Moses exhorts Israel to use honest weights in their homes and in their business transactions. In their culture, goods for sale were weighed to determine the value. And so righteousness is perfect conformity to a standard. And our standard is our holy and righteous God. The Bible tells us that our spiritual condition as humans is one of unrighteousness. And this is how we were before we accepted Christ into our lives. And even now, as I walk with God every day, I don't stand in my own righteousness, but the righteousness of Christ has been applied to my heart. Romans 3.10, the scriptures say, no one is righteous, not even one. Romans 3.23 says, for everyone has sinned, and we all fall short of God's glorious standard. Without Christ in my life, my standing with God is not right. My sin nature keeps me at enmity with God. My practice of sin continues to offend the holiness of God. I need to have a right standing with God. This is what Paul would have taught him as he talked about righteousness. As a righteous God, he must deal justly with those who break his laws or those who have any rebellion in their nature against God's authority. He cannot overlook sin without dealing with it judicially or legally. God has declared a penalty for sin. Ezekiel 18, verse 4. For all people are mine to judge, God says. Both parents and children are alike. And this is my rule. The person who sins 
is the one who will die. Talking of spiritual death, separation from God. It is part of his whole nature as God to apply justice to his creation. God's righteousness, goodness, holiness, and justice is pure. He is holy. There is no darkness in him. The nature of God demands that each sin and each sinner be dealt with legally. Hold on, don't get discouraged. We're in bad condition, but God has made a way, okay? People who follow Moses' law, which by now was corrupted, man-made religious laws, and it still crowds the thinking of people even today. Living by Old Testament law instead of living in New Testament grace is enough to bring any Christian under unbearable burdens. Many believe that if they do enough good works, they can outweigh their bad deeds, thus giving them a good standing with God. But Paul teaches, no, that's not the case. Romans 3.20 says, For no one can ever be made right with God by doing what the law commands. The law simply shows us how sinful we are. The law of Moses shows us how to live, but can do nothing to help us how to live it. So we stand before God condemned. Our only hope is in Jesus Christ. That's why God gave his only begotten son to die on a cross, to pay the price for sin, so that the the payment was made. And now all you and I have to do is accept it and live by it. Paul lays it out clearly for all of us to understand in Ephesians chapter 2 verse 8 and 9 God saved you because his great because of by his grace when you believed and you can't take credit for this it is a gift from God salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done no none of us can boast about it we are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ In Galatians chapter 2, verse 16, yet we know that a person is made right with God by faith in Jesus Christ, not by obeying the law. And we have believed in Christ Jesus, who, uh, so that we might be made right with God. Because of our faith in Christ, not because we have obeyed the law, for no one will ever be made right with God by obeying the law. So doesn't it stand to reason that Paul would have shared this with Felix and Drusilla? In his writings, Paul unfolded for us this wonderful central message of the Bible. We who are guilty sinners are brought into right relation, right standing with God through faith in Jesus Christ. 
Jesus revealed his truth to Nicodemus, who came to him looking for answers. In John 3.16, very familiar verse. For God loved the world so much that he gave his own one and only Son, that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. He loved the world so much, everyone. He loved everyone so much that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. Paul is writing step with Jesus in Romans 5, 8 when he says, but God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. Isn't that amazing? God's love never changes. It is constant. When you and I are at our worst, he loves us the same as when we're at our best. When I had no desire to follow Christ whatsoever, when I was doing everything that was contrary to the word of God, he loved me. And when I asked him to come into my heart and forgive my sins, he couldn't love me anymore. He just forgave me. He said, son, I've given my son so that you can live eternally with me. Isn't that awesome? God is so good. God is so good. And I have lost my way. <laughs> That's what it gets for when you go, when you go uh, off script, you see. We are saved by grace through faith. And Jesus revealed this truth to Nicodemus. And so we see that God has provided the way for sinners to be declared righteous before him. The way for God to be just in declaring you and I, sinners, righteous, is Jesus. Jesus is the way. And uh, in John, John chapter 14, verse 6, this is what Jesus said. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. Jesus is the way. God made Jesus the way whereby we who were unrighteous could be made righteous to Christ. For 2 Corinthians 5.21, Paul writes, For God made Jesus, made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sin so that we could be made right with God through Christ. And if you can believe that, you can be saved. You and I must make a personal choice to accept God and what God has done for us. And when we do that, God takes care of the rest. All of our sin and all of our shame Everything that we have done wrong is forgiven. Even if we have broken the law, we might have to pay the penalty, we might have to go to jail even, but our sins are forgiven. Eternity is taken care of when you ask Christ to come into your heart. Allow me to repeat Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 again. 
God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things that we have done. No one of us can boast about it. It is only through faith in Christ Jesus. And Jesus said, only believe. If you can believe, all things are possible. And then Paul went on to self-control. Self-control is a fruit of the Spirit in Galatians chapter 5. This is, the cha- this is the change in our character that comes about because the Holy Spirit is at work in us. When we give God control of our life, Holy Spirit is free to work in us and helping us with our desires and everything like that. We do not become a Christian on our own, and we cannot grow on our own. We need God's help. In Philippians chapter 2, verse 13, Paul said, For God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases Him. God gives us that desire. God puts that desire in our heart. We fail. Sometimes we fall flat on our face. We, we, we are quick uh, to uh, lose our temper or whatever. And, uh, but God is there with us. And we say, Lord, I didn't intend to do that. Lord, I didn't want to do that. I don't want to be that kind of a man. I don't want to be that kind of a person. The blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, has cleansed me from all sin. Holy Spirit makes that real to my heart. And I am free from that bondage that the enemy would try to put me back into again. Self-control is the ability to control oneself. It involves moderation and constraint. The ability to say no to our baser desires and fleshly lust. Paul is talking about self-control before two people who did not exercise self-control. Felix and Drusella was, uh, was not a part of that. It was a part of the gospel message that Felix and Drusella needed to hear. They needed God to help them with those weak, sinful areas of their life, just as you and I do. The proof of God's working in our lives is the ability to control our own thoughts, our words, and our actions. It's not that we're naturally weak-willed, but our fallen nature is under the influence of sin. I can never in a million years clean up my act on my own. But now that I have Jesus in my heart, He helps me to do the things that I desire to do that would please Him. Don't bother trying to change your your natural efforts in your natural efforts because it doesn't work. If you say, I'm going to serve God one of those days, but I've got to clean up my act. I've got to straighten out some things first. You'll never do that. You'll never get to a place where you'll be willing to accept God. 
Because you've got to bring all of these things. He's the one that helps you to clean up your act, to make a change in your life. Paul addressed this. In first of all, we need self-control because the outside world and the inner forces in our life still attack us and try to keep us doing wrong. So Paul also addressed this in Romans chapter 7, verses 21 to 25. From the message, I'm going to read it. It happens so regularly that it's predictable. The moment I decide to do good, sin is there to trip me up. I truly delight in God's command, but it is pretty obvious that not all of me joins in that delight. Part of me covertly reveals, and just when I least expect it, they take charge. I try everything and nothing helps me. I'm in at the end of my rope. Is there no one who can do anything for me? Isn't that the real question? The answer, thank God, is that Jesus Christ can and will. He can do something about it, and he will, if you and I will let him. As we commit our lives to him, he will help us in all areas of self-control. In reality, it becomes God-control. And that's a positive thing for us. That's not negative. Allowing God to control your life. Saying, Lord, I can't do this on my own. I'm not strong enough. But Lord, with your strength, I can do all things through Christ who gives me the strength. This is an awesome experience to give God complete control of your life. Every one of us in this room right now has got a weakness. Something that if you, if you do not take control of it, it will shit, it'll take you down. But you say, Lord, I need help in this area. And he comes alongside and he brings you up. He lifts you up and he ministers to you and you can go on with him. And the third and last thing that Paul talked about was the coming day of judgment. Concerning judgment, Paul wrote this to Timothy. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 and 2, I solemnly urge you in the presence of God and Christ Jesus, who will someday judge the living and the dead when he comes to set up his kingdom, preach the word of God, patiently correct, rebuke, and encourage your people with good teaching. Jesus will judge the living and the dead at his second coming. The Bible clearly shows the difference between believers and non-believers concerning the judgment to come. Jesus said in John chapter 3 verse 18, there is no judgment against anyone who believes in him. But anyone who does not believe in him has already been judged for not believing in God's one and only Son. The word condemnation in the Greek word means judgment. 
And Paul said in Romans chapter 1, verse, chapter 8, verse 1, rather, So now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. Do you belong to Christ Jesus? If you have asked Christ into your heart, if you have accepted what Christ has done upon the cross, your sins are gone. You are forgiven. You are in Christ Jesus. There is no condemnation. The enemy can bring up your past, but he can't do a thing about it because it's under the blood. It's forgiven. Paul here lays out the gospel to Felix and Drusilla as he tells them what God's standard is. He shows them that they are not living up to God's standard. And he tells them that they will be judged if they don't live up to it. And then he tells them that since they can't live up to it, Jesus Christ took their sin, paid their penalty, took their place on the cross, paid the penalty of judgment, and offers them righteousness by faith. Now they can live a righteous life. Notice Felix's response. Felix became frightened. Verse 25. Felix became frightened. The King James Version says, he trembled. Go away, now he replied. When it is more convenient, I will call for you again. But there is no indication that either of them accepted Jesus Christ into their lives. I believe if they did, the Bible would have recorded that. So in conclusion, I'm going to ask the, the team to come back now. Most of us, at one time or another, had put off things that we know needs to get done. We see in Acts chapter 24, the worst form of procrastination. Felix put off coming to Christ for a more convenient time. Adrian Rogers said this quote, not many deliberately try to go to a lost eternity. They sincerely intend to one day to be saved, but they won't do it today. They put off a decision to receive Christ now, thinking that they will receive him at a later date. This sin of procrastination has blasted more dreams, blighted more lives, and then more souls to eternity than perhaps any other sin. Felix did have Paul brought before him many times after that, but not because he was interested in the gospel. Verse 26 says he also hoped that Paul would bribe him, so he sent for him quite often and talked with him. But his convenient time to accept Christ had passed. I'm sure that Paul would have 
mention this one as well because he wrote it in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 2. For God says, at just the right time, I heard you. On the day of salvation, I helped you. Indeed, the right time is now. And today is the day of salvation. Maybe God is speaking to you today. Maybe you're sensing something within your spirit that you haven't sensed for a long while, or perhaps never before. That's Holy Spirit prompting you to listen to the Word of God. Maybe God is speaking to you this morning. This is your day. This may be your convenient time. None of us can boast about tomorrow. Acts 24, verse 27 says, After two years went by, Felix was succeeded by Portius Festus, and because Felix wanted to gain favor with the Jews, Jewish people, he left Paul in prison. For two years, Felix has been coming back to him time and time again, hoping that he would get a bribe, hoping that he would get some money. But never again did he tremble. Never again did he sense the Spirit urging him to accept Christ. It sounds like terrible news, but Paul was all about serving the Lord Jesus Christ. So he will continue to preach the gospel unhindered, although in chains, for two years. We also know that this was Paul's ticket to Rome. And as we shall see, God isn't finished working with Paul yet. And God is not finished working with you either. All he wants is that you and I would surrender to his plans and his purpose. Let this be your convenient time to receive him into your heart. Also, what an awesome picture. The man who's going through great trial, and yet God working out his plan and his purpose, not just for Paul, but for the kingdom of God, for the many people that will be touched by the power of God through Paul's suffering and through Paul's life. It doesn't get better for Paul. You read the rest of it. It doesn't get better. He ends up in Rome. But oh, the messages that came from Paul from prison that encourages the church, that encourages us to have faith in God for salvation, encourages us to have faith in God for healing in our bodies, encourages us to have faith in God for our family and for our friends. There's a song that I love. For the God on the mountain is still God in the valley. When things go wrong, He'll make them right. 
And the God of the good times is the God in the bad times. And the God of the day is still God in the night. When you can laugh and jump with joy, God is God. But when you can't do anything for yourself, when you've got to have somebody to lead you around, when you're in pain that no one can help you with, when your heart is breaking because of something that is happening in your life, in a relationship, God is still God. And He still loves you. And He still cares about you. And He wants you to cast all of your burdens and all of your care upon Him. Thanks for joining us today. For more on our messages or information about our ministries, you can visit tfhchurch.ca. We hope you have a great week.